You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. Now Hear This is a conversation with leaders in Indianapolis that are working to improve the lives of Hoosiers. Our goal is to empower you to join in their work and make a difference while informing you about the unseen aspects in Indiana. If you miss an episode, you can listen via podcast at nowhearthisindy.com. My guest today is uh, someone I'm really looking forward to talking to. His name is Steve Myers, and he is uh, raising awareness about PTSD, and his website is ptsd-walk.com and also my my old friend mike bowman not because you're old but because we're old friends uh mike thanks so much for being here my pleasure thank you so much for joining me steve uh thank you so let's talk a little bit about what you're doing tell us why are you walking and for what cause so i'm walking across the country to raise awareness for ptsd uh, post-traumatic stress disorder there's a lot of people that don't understand it or they've got a lot of questions and so uh, it's helpful for them to be able to come and ask me questions or if they're intimidated about going to me in person i have got a, a sign on the back of my backpack that has my phone number and my email and so they can contact me that way Okay, so you're walking across America. Where did you start and where are you going to end up? So when people look at my route, they kind of wonder if I used Google Maps or Waze because uh, it looks like I'm lost. Uh-huh. So I started from Kansas City, Missouri, and I'm walking across the United States. Now, if you start for the Midwest and you're going to walk across the United States, you got to first get to the coast before you can start walking across the United States. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I'm starting from, I started from Kansas City. I've already gone through St. Louis. Here I'm in Indianapolis. Uh, pretty soon I'm going to be in Cincinnati, Louisville, Nashville, Atlanta. When I get to Jacksonville, Florida, I start walking across the United States. I will finish in San Diego, California. Okay, and then you go through the Southwest? Uh, for the most part, yes. Okay. So where did you come up with this idea? Uh, well, I was uh, walking last year after my grandfather died. Now, this is going to sound a little morbid at first, but my grandfather died last year in January at the age of 106. And he walked 10 or more miles a day up Hmm. until the age of 100. And so I had this reference of this is something that you can do. And after he died, I started walking more and more. I started doing three miles a day, then five miles a day, then eight and 10, 12, all the way up until Thanksgiving. I was doing 25 miles a day. And while I was doing that, I had plenty of time to think because I'm walking (laughs) three miles an hour. Uh, If you do the math, that's a little over eight hours of walking for 25 miles. And eventually I started having delusions of grandeur, start puffing out my chest thinking, hey, I think I can go ahead and walk across the United States, but it can't be for me. And so I want to be able to help people. I want to share some of the the things that I've gone through, some of the challenges that I've had to overcome. And I wanted to go ahead and uh, provide them a means to go ahead and do some some of the similar things. So let's talk about your experience and your struggles with PTSD. When did that begin? So uh, my last Iraq deployment was in 2007. And shortly after I came back, I was having some problems. And I started to try and get help in 2008. That didn't work out so well for me. And so I didn't receive help for seven more years. Mm. And it was uh, the urgent of my girlfriend she goes, you know, you're gonna getting kind of scary at night. Uh, you you wake up, or it seems like you're waking up. You're you're sitting up out of bed. You're looking like you're ready to fight. You want your weapon, and I'm the only other one in the room. And this is kind of scary. I think you need to get some help. Hmm. So at her urging, I went and got help at a, a veteran center, 
And after having some care from them for a little while, I went back into the military system. I went outside of the military system because I didn't feel comfortable going there. Hmm. I was active duty army, a senior NCO, a sergeant first class, and I was not using the tools available to me because I didn't feel comfortable using them. Why is that? Uh, well, there, there's a stigma. And I also, in 2008, I felt betrayed. So in 2008, I was having some PTSD issues and I was also having some anti-Islamic sentiments. Mm. And at that time I thought, you know what, what's the, what's the one that I can actually tell people about and they won't be so judgmental about me. And that was the anti-Islamic sentiment. Mm. So I, I said, you know what, I need to talk to somebody about this. And that was the reason that I gave. And they paired me up with a Muslim counselor. Mm. And so I felt betrayed. Now, thinking back, about how the system works, that information of why I was seeking help didn't go from one person to another. It was removed. And so that situation ended up happening that way. And so when I felt betrayed, I didn't go back. And I told everybody about it. And so I was like burning bridges left and right. I told my superiors, I told my subordinates. And as a result of that, I set a bad example. So to this day, I don't think any of my subordinates, if they had any issues, felt comfortable going through the military system to get help mm. because of my experience. Right. And so that that left a bad taste in your mouth. You were going to other providers. So what happens when you go back to the military system to seek help for your PTSD? So um, they're, they're, they're there, but I was uh, given two different options on base. And one was where all of the what we call the problem children go to mm. all the people that fail the drug uh, urinalysis. I didn't want to be associated with them. It's like a guilt from association. I wanted to go to this other place that was kind of off in the woods and nobody really knew about. And I felt more comfortable going there. I didn't mind going there because I'd already started getting care and I was getting that ball rolling, but I did not want to be associated with these other people. And I didn't want uh, people to think that, Hey, I guess he failed a drug test or, uh, he's having some kind of problems. I, I, I didn't want that stigma. Mm. So let's go back to uh, a story that's on your website, ptsd-walk.com. And you talk about watching a Saw movie. Okay, so in 2007, I just got back from Iraq. And we're, we're talking within about a week or two. And I'm in Tampa, Florida, and I'm sitting on a sofa with my girlfriend, and she was into horror flicks, and I'm not really into them, and you'll understand why after this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she uh, put on this movie. It was uh, either Saw 2 or Saw 3. I don't know, but it was a horror and gory movie. And we're watching it. Something triggers in me, and I see white, and my eyes kind of just don't do anything and I fade out. It's like fainting. What she saw was me kind of slump on over and start to have what looked like a seizure. And I'm starting to mumble something. I have some kind of vocalizations that are not words. And she doesn't know what's going on. This is going on for 20, 30 seconds. And at that time, what I saw and felt, I was back in Iraq. I was in a Humvee in Iraq, and I remember the exact time, date, all the emotions. It was a scary time. We had just got hit with a roadside bomb. There's a dead person behind me. There's a dead person right in front of me, and I'm driving like a madman trying to get people to the base. That way they can probably live. I didn't get there in time. 
and I'm feeling all of that that hatred. I'm feeling all of that fear, all that vulnerability, and all of these things are happening. But I'm in a sofa in Tampa, Florida. And so after that 20, 30 seconds is gone, she thinks, my girlfriend, she thinks I'm messing around. Hey, quit messing around. And she notices my eyes. My eyes are not in focus. They're somewhere else. I'm, I'm not there. And then my eyes focus and she realized, oh, this is real. He, he was somewhere else and now he's here. And that's the first moment that we knew that I had changed. Hmm. So is that the catalyst? Did you then start seeking help after that moment? Was that uh, like the wake up call for you that something's not right here? Well, uh, life had a whole bunch of uh, kicks and punches for me in between then and the first time I sought aid. And so uh, I, I didn't automatically go and get help at that point, but I knew that I needed help. Mm. I just didn't know where I was going to go and how I was going to do it. I ended up moving, and that's the, one of the reasons why I didn't. And uh, long story made very short, uh, at, when we arrived at our destination, my girlfriend wa- uh, went septic, uh, her her bowel had perforated mm-hmm. and she was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And so my issue took a backstage to her issue because sure. I, I could probably hold on for a little while, but she was dying and we needed to take care of her right away. And so I, I kind of put my issue on the back burner and helped her. And then I tried to, after we got her stabilized, then I tried to seek and get some care for myself. So was it just a nagging thing or, or did you have, um, resistance to going and seeking out treatment at that particular time? Um, well, you, you know you need help, and you don't necessarily want to be uh, the person that's thought of as weak. Mm-hmm. You don't want to have the stigma that's attached to it. And at that time in 2007, I had a top secret security clearance. If I had sought aid at that point, I would have put my security clearance and my job in jeopardy. Mm. And in 2008... One year later, only actually it was only a few months at that time, the the army came out with a policy that you can get aid, you can get help for uh, behavioral health or mental help, and it would not jeopardize your security clearance. And so then I felt, okay, well maybe I can do this. And my none of my leaders had gone for help because obviously it was a new policy. Before then, you didn't do it. Why didn't you do it? Because you could lose your job. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so I had a first sergeant and she was going through some health issues and she let it be known that. And so I, I, I took some solace from her courage of letting people know that and sharing that. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go get help. And then, uh, well, I, I only went for the anti-Islamic sentiment and I felt burned on that one. And I, I didn't go back into that system because of how I felt. And I didn't do that for seven years. Hmm. So my grandfather was in World War II. He was a Marine. He was, if you watch the Pacific on HBO, that's his story. He was at Okinawa. And, you know, looking back on his life, we we tend to think that what we know now about PTSD, he suffered from it. He had a lot of signs of depression and and some of the symptoms. Uh, First question is, why... Why do you think there's a resistance to go get help? Why do you think that stigma, is there something about the culture of serving in the military that, that stigmatizes it? So I'll ask that first. Like, is there, Yes. A, a, and if you're a soldier out there listening, if you're somebody that has served that thinks you're suffering, like, what would you say to them? 
So um, I'm not only going to just say this to you, but I'm going to be on Fort Knox in, uh, on the 13th of March. Uh, so uh, here in, what, nine days? And I'll be talking to them directly. So, yes, there is a pro- uh, not necessarily a problem, but there is a stigma. It's part of the culture. And it, it starts with the leadership. Uh, when I was in the Army, and I was in the California Army National Guard for two years, and I did active Army for 20 years, at that and. 22-year time span, not a single one of my first-line supervisors, first sergeant, sergeant major, commander, none of them got help for mental health that I know of. If they did, they kept it hush-hush. And so these are the same people that I try to emulate. I'm going to do like them because I want to I want to be in that position later on. I want to be able to have that authority. I want to go ahead and uh, be just as good as them. If they say, hey, we're going to take that hill and they lead me there, I'm going to go and follow them. They're not showing the way to mental health, but every single one of them will go up on their soapbox and say, Hey, if you need help, go get help. It's right there. It's okay to go and do it. All right. You first. (laughs) Right. So getting away from that, uh, do as I say, not as I do, uh, is is important. And there, there, there's some other parts that kind of go into that. There's a stigma. Uh, and it's, it's almost like, I'm damaged. I don't want people to think that I'm weak and that I'm damaged because then maybe they won't be around me. They won't like me. They'll, they'll shun me. Uh, I'll be ostracized. And so there's that feeling. And every single woman I know of says, I want my man to go and get help. I want him to talk about it. I want him to be able to get better. But almost every single man that I talk to says, hey, I can't do that. Women lose respect and they leave a man. And so there's two sides of this coin. They want the guy to get help, but if he shows too much weakness and they lose too much respect for him, they're gone. And so that's that's going outside of the military. And the reason why I'm saying this is because most people with PTSD never served a day in the military. Hmm. Almost, uh, almost uh, 8% of the United States population has got PTSD. And only like 1% of the population has served in the armed forces. Yeah, to that effect, there's uh, somebody that I've read extensively. Her name is Brene Brown, and uh, she deals a lot with vulnerability, shame, and some of these topics. And she gave a, a talk where uh, this man brought his wife and two daughters, and he walked up and he said, you know, I really appreciated everything you said, but those three women who just bought your book and had a picture with you would rather see me die on my white horse than fall off of it. And um, one thing that I think is important. I've always talked about my personal experience going to therapy the last few years because it has really helped me become a stronger man. It has allowed me to become someone that is much more comfortable with my feelings. And what has been your experience going and getting treatment for PTSD? To the guy who's sitting there going, I don't want to appear weak, what what does it look like on the other side? What kind of man are you after you've gone through these treatments? Well, let, let me let me take a step back from that for just a moment. We have a word that we use to describe people that are scared of doing something and they go forward and they do it anyway. It's courage or courageous or hero. And so those are the people that we emulate and we, we're like, you know what? That's the person. I'm going to remember this. Well, if if people aren't taking that step because they're scared and there's this stigma, then they're not being that courageous person. I want them to go ahead and take that step. I want them to talk about it. I want them to move forward. 
I want them to be that shining example that others can follow. Success leaves clues. And so I, I, I want there to be a whole lot of examples. I use an analogy when I'm talking to people about this. And uh, we're talking about men, but I'm going to use a woman's analogy, and I think it'll make a lot of sense. So every girl grows up knowing that one day she might become a mom and have babies, and she could get pregnant. And so she has this mental list that she keeps in her mind of all the women that are mothers that she thinks are good moms, that she trusts, she respects. And so that one day when she gets pregnant, and her body starts changing and she's scared and she doesn't understand what's going on and she has all these questions, she she uses that list and she gets the answers that she needs. If we're not talking about mental health and behavioral health and how we're overcoming uh, our issues and we're having all these discussions, if we're not doing that, then people do not have that mental list of who they can go and talk to. And so one of the things that I'm I'm trying to have happen is I want people to talk about it. So that way others can watch. Now, while you're going through something, okay, if you want to keep that personal and you want to keep a hush-hush, sure, no problem. When you're through that, after you've gone through the valley of death or through the fire or whatever analogy you want, tell people about it. You don't have to sit there and try and, you know, push out your chest and brag and say, I'm the best thing since sliced bread. No, you just say, hey, guys, I went through this. And then people are going to talk about it. Yeah, people appreciate scars. They like a good scar story. They don't want to see your open wounds, so don't talk about it when you're when you're wounded. But the scars and the emotional scars that we bear are—I I really appreciate your courage in speaking out about this because it's something that I think is incredibly important. And the courage to open that lane for people is fantastic. Uh, let's talk about PTSD itself. Okay. What are some signs? What are some symptoms that if you are maybe experiencing yourself or seeing a loved one, what does that look like? Um, so, uh, each person has, uh, their own specific trauma and their own triggers that go along with that and their own experience, but there's some generalities. And one of them is, uh, hypervigilance or, uh, being easily startled or being on edge a lot or, um, uh, angry at a sudden outburst. And it's like, they lose control, not necessarily of their entire body. And, you know, someone's using a remote control and making them move around and do stuff. No, it's just like a, a momentary um, lapse in the ability to stop themselves from doing something. Uh, so it's normally like when there's a highly emotional thing that happens and they're not able to stop that. And, and so that's it's kind of not saying, oh, here's all the signs and symptoms and here's the list. Uh, for me, one of the things that I'm still going through is I have mental fatigue. Now, that's not something you normally talk about. But because I'm seeing all these different threats and I, I'm, I'm telling myself, no, that's not a threat. And I'm identifying all these things. Uh, it, it's taking a little bit of uh, mental energy for me every time I do that. So you can call it a mental tax. They talk about the number of decisions that you can make in a day. I'm making a whole lot more earlier. And so I get more fatigued earlier. So about two o'clock, I have the same effect that someone has at 6 o'clock. And what do I mean by that? There's this dreaded question that happens around dinner time every day. What do you want to eat? I don't know. What do you want to eat? Oh, please, God, just make a decision for me and I'll go with it. <laughs> I do not want to try and figure this one out because I'm having trouble just looking straight. My eyes are starting to cross. And I'm that way a lot earlier because of this. Okay. And if you feel like you are experiencing some of these symptoms 
what what are your first steps when you decided to get help? What were your first steps and what would you recommend to people out there who know that they need to move forward? Well, a lot of times others around you will know what's going on with you beforehand. So I use an analogy that when I was a, a kid and I had a crush, I was hiding all of my feelings. Nobody knew. I kept this a, a great secret. And everybody around me knew what was going on before I knew what was going on. They knew exactly who I had my crush on before I was willing to accept who I had my crush on. Same thing happens when someone uh, is going through something big and traumatic. Anyone that's ever been in the workforce for a long time has noticed someone had a divorce or a falling out with their relationship. And they maybe tried to keep it quiet, but everybody soon found out because there was different different signs and symptoms and going out. So you think you're keeping it secret, but everybody knows what's going on, but they're not talking about it. Mm -hmm. Same thing goes on with your PTSD. You think you're keeping your anger under control. You think you're keeping your emotions in check. And then something happens and everybody's like, uh, no, you, you, you should get some help. And so the person with PTSD probably has an inkling, but those around them know for sure. Yeah, you need to get some help. And so one of the things I say is when people around you that you trust and respect are saying, you know, you probably should talk to somebody, take it to heart. They know, they know you better than you probably. If you're one of those loved ones, what are some tips on approaching this from a loving manner where the person might listen? Because I think there's a lot of fear. Like, I don't want to upset this person. I don't know how to approach this with this person. I don't want to be insensitive. What advice would you give to the person who feels that they need to talk to their loved one? Well, everybody's uh, got their own personal way of dealing with things. So some people may have thick skin and some people may be very, very sensitive. And so it's more of a, an individualized thing. It's not necessarily something that you can just say, all right, here's how you do it for everybody. Uh, if someone's got real thick skin, you can probably talk to them in a very um, harsh manner or maybe in a, um, a teasing manner. But someone with very thin skin, very sensitive, you're going to have to kind of tiptoe around it. Mm. Uh, now, if you've got a good rapport with them, and regardless of how sensitive they are, you can probably just go straight for the issue. Okay. Uh, you're listening to Now Hear This. My name is Chris Spangle, and we are talking to Steve Myers of PTSD-Walk.com. He is walking across the country to raise awareness for PTSD. Uh, let's talk to Mike Bowman. How did you... So he's decided to walk across the country. Uh, you're you're someone who's very plugged in locally to local charity. Um, how did you find out about his efforts to walk across the country? How did you get involved in this, I guess is what I'm saying. Right. So I've actually helped, uh, including uh, Steve, uh, seven, di seven different people walk across the country. Hmm. Um, and some lasted three or four months. Some la One lasted 18 months. Wow. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of, about half of them are tied to military uh, uh, causes and stuff like that. And I helped a 71 year old U S air force veteran walk across the country last year. Wow. He actually came through Indiana, slept in a tent like the whole time until I found out cause like a VFW posted on their page. And I drove out the next day and said, Hey, I've helped people walk across the country. Can I help you? And he said, yes. And from that point on, he never slept in a tent. Oh, that's great. Um, and so, 
uh, Steve, when he thought about walking across the country, first thing you do is Google who's walked across the country. Right. And my name didn't come up, but William Shuttleworth, his name came up. And so he contacted William. William said, well, you might want to talk to this guy in Indiana. <laughs> He, he might know what he's doing. And so he reached out to me and, uh, uh, you know, we I basically consulted with him and advised him on certain things. And you can't see it on radio, but he has like a three foot long except printed out Excel spreadsheet of dates, cities, times, miles, fire stations, police stations, VFWs on who to contact as he moves down the road. Wow. I actually um, got three of them. Three, really? three sets. <laughs> Um, and so, um, I told him, Hey, you know, uh, I can definitely help you when you come through Indiana. Um, and gave him all my tips and ideas and what to do. And, um, and here we are today. So how did you find these data points? I mean, Steve, did you just start calling people or how do you, how do you, you say, I'm going to cross, walk across the country. Do you just walk out your front door one day or how did you prepare for this? Uh, well, so last year I, 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 as I was saying earlier, I, I started walking about three miles a day, then five, and I built up and up to 25 miles a day. And during that time, I was able to start understanding my body's limitations. So I found out that about 10 miles is where I start to uh, have diminishing returns if I do not have a break, if I'm not drinking water, if I'm not doing things that will go ahead and let my body recover. I can still keep pushing for you know an entire marathon, but I'm I'm going to be completely spent at the at the end of that, and I'm not going to have enough energy and mental energy to talk to people. And so, if I'm walking to raise awareness for PTSD and I want to talk to people, I've got to give myself breaks. Plus, that gives more opportunities for people to to talk with me. Sure. And so, what are what are some places that you've enjoyed so far? Uh, well, I uh, I did not uh, too uh, particularly enjoy my stay in St. Louis because it was <laughs> raining the entire time I was there. Uh, but I did wake up to a nice uh, view of the arch, so That's that cool. was nice. Um, I, I've I've been through some uh, fun February weather, and now it's March and things are warming up. Uh, everybody's saying, "Oh, this weather's so great," and I'm like, uh, "I'm hoping for a blizzard." And people are like, "No, why?" Well. I started in February and it was 18 degrees. I've only got winter gear. Right oh, now no. I'm, I'm wearing a long sleeve wool shirt. Why do you think I'm praying for a blizzard? <laughs> so you don't have to buy new clothes? <laughs> <laughs> well, that and I don't have any of the, the warm weather clothes with me yet. Yeah. So do you? how do you get those? Do people donate those? Do you go out and buy them? How are you funding this, I guess, is another question. Well, I, I started out completely just me. And then uh, people have uh, helped out uh, here and there. So uh, last night I stayed at uh, um, at Embassy Suites, and it was uh, paid for by someone other than me. And so that was very helpful. And uh, tonight I'm staying in a different place, and someone is picking up that tab. So uh, people are are, um, helping me out along the way, uh, and, and sometimes they will combine. So five or six people will combine to go ahead and provide a place to, for me to stay or they'll buy me a meal and so they're helping in that way in, in small ways they're not like some big corporate sponsor saying don't worry we got you for a hundred grand <laughs> no no no. it's all grassroots well we have a national audience thanks to podcasting this uh and if you're out there and you want to help steve out how would they get a hold of you well uh you can uh, get a hold of me either through my phone through email or uh 
through Facebook or Instagram. Uh, there, there's plenty of options out there. So, uh, what's your Instagram username? Uh, my Instagram, uh, I don't know what the username is, but I know what I got to type on in so people can find me. And that's <laughs> that's Stephen S T E P H E N dot Myers M E Y E R S dot three nine. Okay, and you can text Steve at eight one six nine one two nine nine six seven again that number is eight one six nine one two nine nine six seven we'll go ahead and put that in the show notes on the podcast and website uh we're running out of time unfortunately this has been a great conversation so my final question to you uh is let's let's start with mike in all of these experiences what would you love for people? You're on the radio now. You've got a chance for people to understand your work. What do they need to know? Well, they need to know to go to this website um, and send us information, email, text message, uh, Facebook, whatever you're most comfortable with. And we're always looking for people in different cities along the route. You can find every city, every date he's going to be in. And what we find is people go, well, I can't help you here, but I know somebody in the next city you know, my brother lives there and maybe he was ex-military or something and he can help you out, find a place to eat, find a place to stay, find a place you can meet and talk with people. And that's what we're, we're, we're building a tsunami in front of his walk so that people know three, four five days ahead of time that he's coming into their city. Because when he comes in, he may be the big thing that's happening that day, mm-hmm. especially in all these small cities he's walking. You go to Newcastle, you're the you're it, man. Yeah, so <laughs> we're picking big cities for him to walk in, like Indianapolis, but you have all these small cities in between uh, that we want to meet people, talk with people, let him tell his story, and uh, you know try to help you know a person every day, it turns out. And people come up to him while he's walking because they they see something in the paper they see something on the on the news or on the radio and they say oh i saw that guy walking we had an experience in um terra haute where they were doing a roadside uh tv interview and someone drove past and we were having lunch later on and that same woman came up to him and said hey I, were you walking along the road earlier and gave him some money talked to him about uh, her husband who was in the army or in the military and those organic things is what we're looking for every day. So volunteers are always appreciated. Again, that's PTSD-walk.com. Steve, what would you like people to know about PTSD that they, they may not? Well, the first thing is it's not a disease. You can't catch it from somebody. The next thing is that it doesn't have to be your reality for the rest of your life. Just like a, a, a open wound, it can heal. And it can scar over and it doesn't have to hurt anymore. So I want people to have hope that that reality that is theirs right now doesn't have to be there 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. And there's a lot of Vietnam veterans and they're still dealing with it. I was talking with a, a gentleman the other day and he was a POW and he was tortured and he never got that care. And so I, I'm he, he didn't feel comfortable going to the Veterans Affairs and so he went to a church. And the church gave him a little bit, but you could tell that he needed a lot more. And I was able to pair him up with a nonprofit that gives uh, him the care that he needs at no cost to him. Someone else is paying that tab. And so I want people to know that there's hope out there. There's other avenues of getting this. Uh, Talk to a lady with her husband with mobility issues. Husband uh, has difficulty getting from one place to another. And so getting him the care that he needs is difficult because of his mobility. But he now understands that he can go to the internet and get his care 
uh, from the internet, uh, getting us, you know, uh, getting in front of a, a teleconference, and he can get the same care that he would get in person. But he's in the comfort of his own home. I want them to know there's there's, there's help out there, and they should still have hope. Well, Steve Myers, thank you so much for joining me. Mike Bowman, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate your time. We appreciate your message. And uh, if you were moved by this, as I was, please share this at nowhearthisindy.com. And thank you for listening to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. If you missed any portion of our program, you can listen on our website, nowhearthisindy.com. If you'd like to have your organization featured on the show, please contact Gabby at 317-475-7407 or via the contact page on our website. Thanks for listening, and we will be back again next weekend with Now Hear This. Do you like to listen to podcasts about insider political information? deep dives into the libertarian philosophy, and futile arguments over the non-aggression principle, then Gingerarchy is not for you. I'm Trisha Stewart-Mann, and on Gingerarchy, I have fun conversations and interviews with my liberty friends that are at the top of their fields and putting principle into practice through libertarian philosophy. This is not a stuffy philosophy podcast where people simply talk about principles. You're going to hear people living them out and will hopefully be inspired to do the same. Subscribe now in your podcast app or find it on gingerartypodcast.com.